0: All right, what's up, everybody? It's a new podcast because that's what everyone needs in their life is a new podcast. It's called Study Hall. I'm Trevor Denton with Daniel Halpern, Jordan Hunter, and Jimmy Goodman. We used to host a show in college back at USC that no one watched, and we decided since no one watched that, why not make a podcast that no one will listen to? We're going to be talking about USC football, USC basketball, the NBA draft. First of all, how's everyone doing? How you doing, Dan?
1: Wonderful. Just excited to get back with you guys. You're all Often graduated, I'm still stuck here at you know Rona USC and having fun, but I miss talking with you guys, so I'm excited to get back to it.
2: Heck yeah, man. Jordan, how you doing, man? I'm good, you know, it's refreshing to hear you guys' voices and, you know, see you guys' face on Zoom, and I'm happy to talk some more sports. I'm with Dan, I'm also, I'm stuck in Rona, LA. <laughs> the same Cine- team man. to really, you know, get this virus in control. Well,
0: that's not going to happen. Jimmy, how you doing, man?
3: Oh, I'm jazzed up. I know that if there's anything I've missed since I graduated from USC, it's about people caring about what I say. And if there's anything I can be sure of about this process of this whole you know, podcast, it's that people will start caring about what I say again.
0: Lofty goals off the start. People caring about what we say. Um, but we started this. I I was texting Dan, you know, I was, uh, you know, we graduated a few, three out of four of us graduated, and I miss talking about USC football. And and there's just so much to rant about right now. Obviously, two close games against uh, Arizona State to start out with. Arizona, they managed to pull both of them out, uh, miraculously, but pretty ugly games, uh, to say the least. So let's just start this off. Let's start this off with you, Jimmy um what's standing out to you from the first two games so far what's going wrong what's going right what are kind of your your takeaways from two games in
3: I mean I'd say first and foremost is just you know your usual kind of helton esque lack of <laughs> discipline that's you could you could expect from from this team there's been an unbelievable amount of penalties in these first two games I think it's a, a bit of an underrated storyline but between that uh, just general exec- execution, you know, plenty of turnovers, plenty of fumbles. Um, to that extent, you know, the, the running game has been pretty much completely unreliable for the, the, uh, the start of the season here against the, the Arizona battery of teams. Uh, so that's what I'm looking for, you know, this coming, you know, week against Utah, uh, which for me now in now an East Coast, USC watcher, I'm going to be up at 1030 for kickoff uh it's gonna be beautiful some back 12 after dark after dark and i i'm just you know i'm 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 interested to see how USC can try and turn things around even though it's a 2-0 start you know they're in need of a bit of a turnaround if they expect to get anywhere close to the new york six or cfp conversation
0: yeah to me it's just uh It's incredible to watch the many ways that Helton keeps his job at the last second. You know, it reminds me a lot of Creed Bratton in the first season of The Office, you know. He's for sure fired. Michael Scott at the Halloween party, he's like, he's fired. He's decided that Creed's gone. Creed goes into his office, makes a last-second Hail Mary, convinces him to fire the other guy, Devin. And that's what Clay Helton is like every single week of our lives, seemingly from 2016 uh, until eternity. Both games, they were outplayed. They were man same problems, uh, giving up long runs, fumbles like you were talking about. I mean, that third and one sequence in the third quarter um, was a Picasso painting of incompetence. I mean, it was really everything, all the hallmarks of the Helton era, a false start, a delay of game, Helton looking confused on the sideline. He's always got his mouth open. I mean, I wonder how many Arizona Nats flew into his mouth during that game. He's always got his mouth open. He never knows what's going on. And like Creed Bratton in the office, he somehow get retained his job with last second heroics. And to me, the biggest thing that stands out from these two games is the problem that USC's had since 2016. They do the big things very well, recovering onside kicks. Who recovers onside kicks? Who scores two touchdowns with 90 seconds? The freaking USC Trojans do. Who also can't convert a third and one to save their lives? The USC Trojans. They do all the big things well, the tipped catches, Keaton Slovis run for 150 yards and two drives to end the game against Arizona but they can't do the small things well to save their lives and that's the difference between a good program and a great program and whatever the hell USC is somewhere below that Daniel
1: uh I think you're you're right on the nose there and the the issue with USC is that no matter how good the talent is the, the coaching is just atrocious you have Clay Helton doing everything in his power to coach this team to a loss but the talent will win out, but that won't last forever. You can't go six and zero relying on your talent. You need to have a coach. There's a coach there for a reason. And when they're unable to adapt, uh, I know that we definitely want to talk about the inability of this team, or I guess the unwillingness of this team to take the ball under center and just taking everything out of the shotgun, out of the pistol, something like that. It just doesn't make sense, especially on third and one, to be taking in the shotgun every single time. And Those are things that definitely need to change if this team really wants to do anything, you're talking about getting a, a new year's bowl or uh, even college football playoff, uh, playoff, if they went out.
3: I'm, I'm in total agreement. And, and I also wonder, you know, about the offensive line play, especially as it concerns. It's crazy to me. I can't believe Liam Jimmons is a starting lineman for USC <laughs> football these days. The, the converted defensive tackle his most notable achievement. What if, what if your name
0: was? What if your name was Jim Jimmins?
3: It's yeah, I know. It's that's all I think about. It's crazy. He's just trying to copy me. But his most notable accomplishment before somehow, somewhere along the lines, of becoming an offensive lineman was punching a Washington State, uh, you know, fan. Who was running onto the field after USC lost back there in 2017? I don't.
0: That was the best block he's made of his career, I think. It, it, it really was. was. It was a
3: clean pancake. He completely lifted him off of his, his 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 legs. It was just, it was it was really a show of force. But mm-hmm. I don't understand who gave him the capacity to start for USC on their offensive line. But it's it's not just a it's it's a, not just a one man show up front. It it really is kind of a a colossal team failure on the run game.
2: I just want to say, I just want to comment Trevor's, his great knowledge of the office. Uh, So we know Creed has Creed thoughts. Do you think Clay Helton has a blank document called Clay thoughts (laughs) of just things that he thinks would be a good idea to do in a in a college football game when you, when you're the head coach of USC?
0: I'll answer your question by saying, you know, and play the Ryan role you know Ryan made sure that the world never saw Creed's thoughts I hope the world never gets to see Clay's thoughts because it would be an abomination um to football itself he never knows when to uh when to when to kick it on fourth down I mean he seems to do the wrong thing in every situation and the interesting thing is like you know you hear it You hear it. I understand that this is an unprecedented season. You didn't get spring practice, but also having these guys had kind of like a month to prepare for the seven-game schedule. I feel like you can't really use that that excuse at all. Like, am I right there? Do you guys think that's a valid excuse to use coronavirus uh, when? They've still had a good amount of time. Also, they kept practicing. I was on Twitter criticizing the team for, for continuing to practice when it looked like there would be no season at all, but they were continuing to install the offense, the defense with Todd Orlando. So I feel like they've had plenty of time. What do you guys think about that? Do you think COVID is a valid excuse for how USC's played these first two games?
3: I'm totally I'm totally in, in concert with you, Trevor. And I, I just wanted to, you know, on behalf of everyone uh, listening to the podcast, if not on the podcast, uh, thank you for being a hero and a champion of the the anti-coronavirus cause and ensuring that USC football knows their place. Wait a second, uh, wait a second.
0: To... I do want to make sure that I'm on the record as, as anti-coronavirus. You as long, are. As are we all? We are all I know ball. that's a hot take in this political atmosphere. I'm
3: against the COVID. <laughs> you, you indeed are, and you did your part by shouting into the void on Twitter. Um, I, I think it's also interesting when you consider the fact you, you said they kept practicing. I mean, it's November. They've basically not played a game in a year, and, and there is rust to come with that, but that's a lot of time to prepare for a football game or a half football season.
1: And I, I want to jump off of Jimmy there. You're, you're talking about a team that hasn't really changed much. You're in a second year with Keaton at the helm. Everything should still be going. There's not really a lot of new pieces. You still, Brew McCoy getting added in is nice and all, but you really still have the same running backs, same quarterback as I was saying. Uh, same wide receivers the defense has a little bit of shakeup, but for the most part uh, things are looking exactly the same there's no real reason why there's this regression and I know that they're 2-0 and o, but this is not a 2-0 and o team
2: it's not they a got lucky twice no. This, no. This, this isn't a pretty 2-0 and o at all and um, going into this game against Utah you would have expected a lot of these kinks to be already figured out and the fact that they're not is is still sad but as you mentioned as we've all said before it's clay held at the helm and nothing seems to go right with him there but they USC recently had two blowouts um not to come from behind wins i mean you have clay
1: helton's nine lives here his luck is incredible and just adding to it now he has his third week in a row playing a team in their first game of the season it's all the things just come together perfectly for clay helton to just sneak through and it's in any other situation, one of these things doesn't happen. Everything starts to collapse in on it. Right now, you're 2-0, and but uh, it, it's going to not stay like that if the luck runs out for him.
0: Yeah, let's talk about why they're 2-0, and though, because I thought that Clay Hilton said something very interesting after the Arizona State game that I vehemently disagree with, like most things that he says. If he ever does say anything, <laughs> at all, most of the time it's nothing answers after press conferences. But he said that last year's team doesn't win that game against Arizona State. I actually don't buy that. I don't think it's a heart problem. I don't think it's a grit problem. I don't think it's ever been a heart problem. If USC didn't have heart, then they wouldn't have beaten a number 10-ranked Utah team with Matt Fink last year. If USC didn't have heart, they wouldn't have beaten Colorado coming back in a very similar fashion that they did against Arizona State. I don't think that's ever been the issue. I think that they've brought together a great group of guys. I think that um, the recruiting hasn't necessarily been at the Pete Carroll eras whatsoever, but they've still... You know Clay Hilton still brought in some solid guys. He brought in Keaton Slovis as a three star. He brought in Darnold. I don't think the issue is grit or determination. I think it's, I think he's the common denominator. And I think at a certain point, you know, USC is a lot like my past relationships, right? It's like I can continue blaming them, you know, for this or that or that. But at the end of the day, I'm the only common denominator in all my relationships. It's not them. And Clay Hilton in that scenario, um, maybe that's one of my ex girlfriends calling me. Probably not. Um, that's mostly something that I would do. But, you know, at the end of the day, I am Clay Helton in my relationships. I am the only common denominator and why that doesn't work. But unlike Clay Helton, you know, I'm probably going to die alone. He's probably going to die as USC's head coach. I mean, come on, guys.
1: That that analogy right there was just – I'm killing the, the analogy. out to all of Trevor's exes too.
3: <laughs> Thank you for listening to the podcast.
1: I think uh, just one of, the, one of the big issues with maybe why this team isn't doing as well uh, – earlier in games has to start with Keaton Slovis is there an injury there I know Trevor you were talking to me the other day about oh maybe it's from uh, the Iowa game back last year after what do you think
0: yeah I think it's a bandwagon that people are hopping on and it makes sense because dude some of his throws look downright wobbly uh, in that Arizona game he had one deep pass that just kind of fluttered out Um, You know, and I I think to some degree that happens to quarterbacks like, you know, Kyler Murray, who we're going to get to a little bit later. Like he has a tendency to, you know, he had one of the best throws uh, of the regular season, if not the best throw of the regular season, he has a tendency to flutter some balls. It happens to every quarterback. But I think that you're starting to kind of hear that buzz just because he's had more than usual. We didn't really see that from him last year. I don't buy it. There's been a lot of time to recover from that injury, and I don't think he'd be out there on the field if it was something serious. If he needed, say, Tommy John or something, I don't know the extent of the injury, but it's been almost 10 or 11 months since the Holiday Bowl, um, so I- I'm not really sure. I-, I buy that, Jimmy. What do you What do you think over there?
3: Uh, my My thinking really is that, despite you know him throwing, it, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would an- anticipate something along the lines of 50 50 plus, you know, like passes per game. He's still not really been able to get into much of a rhythm through most mm-hmm. of that, with the exception of, and I wouldn't even call it rhythm. It was almost like, you know, uh, necessity at the end of the Arizona state game. Uh, but he hasn't really gotten into that rhythm passing game that I feel like USC really capitalized on in 2019 from an offensive perspective. Much of that is because there's a lot of seven and eight man dropbacks uh, that he has to deal with. So even those shorter passing lanes aren't quite there, but I think that should be, Honestly, be the biggest offensive focus is at least you know incorporating the running game enough to allow Slovis to get into more of a passing rhythm, uh, by not seeing as many <laughs> defensive backs every time he drops back.
1: Yeah, Jimmy, uh, I, I just looked it up. He has 98 uh passing attempts this oh. year, and it, it to me, it looks like it's going downhill from the beginning. So, I, I really don't think that this was something from back in the Iowa game because it seems like it's been getting worse. And also if this would have been an issue, as we were saying earlier, they've been practicing this whole time. You don't think somebody would have seen this. One of the guys who goes to a practice brings it up on Twitter. Oh, Keaton Slovis is throwing errant balls, stuff like that. Uh, So I think it definitely is a a newer issue, but I totally don't buy at all saying, oh, it's a mechanics thing. It has to be an injury. You don't, there's nothing in your mechanics where you forget how to throw a spiral when you were like throwing it on a rope all last year. Yeah, you might have a a ball sore too far. You have the, the Cardale Jones 40 yards over someone's head every once in a while. But you don't forget how to throw a spiral over and over and over throughout a game.
0: Well, also, when you're throwing it 50 times a game, you know, maybe you're bound to throw some ducks, just kind of the law of averages there. Not every pass is going to be great. But touching back on Jimmy's point, I feel like BYU really set the blueprint for how to beat USC, and that's drop seven or eight guys, get in the zone. And, um, you know, I think we've seen this with, with, with Mike Leach, right? That's the big critique of the air raid system is that when you go into zone, I mean, look at what Washington was able to do against Washington state. I, I want to say they were seven, one against Mike, Le- Mike Leach when he was there. So there is this blueprint to beating the air raid system. The difference between USC and Washington State is theoretically they should have a better front seven. It was almost like Washington State was doing that out of necessity. They had to be gimmicky, almost like Georgia Tech with the, with the triple option. Washington State isn't going to get top 50, top 70, top 100 offensive linemen. So they need to throw the ball around the yard. USC should be able to have that. And then also, I think they have three borderline elite running backs. I've been very impressed by Vivai Malapai. Um, especially this year and throughout his career. I think he's been the most consistent of the backs. Stephen Carr finally looks like his uh, freshman year self. I'm starting to see. What do, what do you guys shaking your head for?
1: Jimmy and I got some some looks on our face. I like Stephen Carr. I think Stephen Carr is the oh, best Stephen back Carr. in the backfield.
0: Stephen Carr. Stephen Carr has been fantastic this year. I think the last couple of years he ran with a little bit of uh, he ran with a little bit of timidness. I don't think we've seen him, him have the explosiveness that he has freshman year. And then Marquis Step, who I think I, I'm very vocal about, I'm very high on since that Notre Dame game when he was dragging defenders left and right. But the bottom line is USC has the running backs um, to be able to execute and to be able to set teams off balance. But I think it's part of the problem is the offensive line. But then – um, you know if you know your offensive line isn't getting a push at the line of scrimmage like USC hasn't been able to do it all through the first two games you can't get back in the pistol and have marquee steps start from 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage on third and one I mean it, it's ridiculous when I watch USC on third and one now it feels like third and it might as well be third and 24 except I think on third and 24 they'd have a better chance to chance to convert of course there'd be like three tipped and, and then it'd end up in Drew McCoy's hands or something but I, I think I think Graham Harrell has shown a lack of ability to adjust this year is, is kind of the point that I'm getting at. I, I wanna hop
1: guy. back on I wanna hop back on the offensive line thing for a second. If you look at the game last week, no one is gonna say, Oh, that was a dominant appearance by an offensive line. They didn't allow a sack though. And it, it it's like a false stat almost, because yeah, it's great that Keaton Slovis was upright for most of the day. I'm not exactly sure what his his pressures were, or anything like that but he wasn't taken down uh, and it didn't result in a loss for, for the team. But that does, it's not an accurate representation of how this offensive line played because, as you were saying, there is no push. The run game can't get going. And it, it really just allows these teams to sit with eight people back and not even need to worry about USC running the ball because they can't do it effectively, even against a, a three- or a four-man rush, which is, it shouldn't be happening, especially with how good Elijah Vera Tucker has been playing that is a bona fide first round draft pick and they they should be running his way a little bit more try to get him both out in space get a little outside run action going and see what happens because i I need to see more out of the offensive line uh, as far as the run game goes because while they're 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 not even giving keaton as much time i feel like keaton's just like almost scared to stay back there he doesn't want to be hit and that could also be back to if he has an injury that he's nursing i could see why he doesn't want to be hit
0: yeah, and I think that supports why also they need to add a run run option component to mm-hmm. uh, to 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 Keaton Slow to to some of those third and one situations. If defenses are gonna overcommit to the run and you're not getting a push anyways, and defensive ends are crashing in, that's a perfect opportunity um, for Keaton Sloves to keep it. So I don't know. I, I think i think it just goes back to the little things. You have to convert those third and ones if you if you're gonna be a great team. You have to, um, you can't have penalties down in the red zone. Like, you know, it, it's weird because on one hand, it's like the Jekyll and Hyde of, of USC this season. It's like, yeah, they probably should have lost both those games. But also they could have scored like 45 against Arizona State if they didn't fumble the rock so many times and they converted some of those third ones. So it's very complicated. I, I don't know how to feel. I don't know how to feel about this team. What do you guys think like maybe their ceiling would be uh, if, if everything was going right? Like what's kind of the talent level of this team? What would the ceiling be?
3: Easily Rose Bowl. Easily a Rose Bowl team. Uh, if, if everything is, is clicking, I don't see a reason why this team couldn't, I, I mean, as they kind of already probably are going to this year, you know, easily win the South and then just give, at least give Oregon a game. But I, I could see them easily matching up well against them, just pound for pound on the field. Uh, you consider how unproven Tyler Shug Shog, yeah, what is that guy's name? So, I think
0: it was like shoe. I, I think you should just go with shoe. You, you put a G in the H, I'm not going to pronounce that.
3: Yeah, Tyler S. Um, <laughs> he hasn't earned the right, he hasn't
0: earned the right to for me to pronounce his G and his
3: H. I mean, hey, he, he's new as well. Uh, there's a lot of new moving pieces on that on that team, at least on the offensive side. I, I don't see a reason why USC, especially with this core having mostly been intact for as long as they have, uh, at least offensively. I don't see a reason why they couldn't give Oregon a run for their money and they still can this year. I don't, I don't think that's out of the question, but I think at this point, um, uh, unless something really turned around, I don't, I really wouldn't see the CFP really giving USC much of a shot.
2: I, I agree with Jimmy hundred um, percent. It's, it's gotta be obviously the Pac-12 championship for sure. And if they can really iron out some of these kinks and really just play smarter throughout four quarters, I can see them maybe giving Oregon a game, like Jimmy said. Um, I don't know if they, can, if they can beat them. I mean, Oregon has to play a few more games so people can really see, like, who they are. But if they can give Oregon a game and maybe even squeak out on top, yeah, obviously the Rose Bowl. But US, they, just don't, they just don't, like, bleed enough confidence for the committee to really give them a college football playoff game.
1: Yeah, I, I think if they turn say. it around, I think they turn it around going to the end of the season and they hit their stride, maybe going into that Oregon game. I'm still a little bit of a believer that they could make a push for the college football playoff. Obviously, other things need to happen. Uh, but but back to the question about the seat, oh, Trevor, you're shaking your head. i want to I want to explain this. If they have a couple dominant wins and they hit their stride and they have a nice win over Oregon, which I don't think is out of the question. I, I want to see a couple more games before I, I really, like, say, oh, I believe this team could beat Oregon. But here's I think my- that it could happen. And I, it does obviously rely on uh, the teams that are, like, the the five through – or the, like, six, seven through, like, four, three, those teams in the uh, rankings to, to falter a little bit and have a loss, two losses. And USC needs to be dominant. And it's – we're running out of time for that.
0: Yeah, I, I, here's my thing. I just don't think – this does not feel like a team – that could dominate someone for four quarters. And I think a lot of that is, is guys like football is a physical game. Alabama's won so many national championships because they have skill players, but also because they dominate the line of scrimmage and they wear you down. So by the time the fourth quarter hits, you're able to hit some more of those big plays. USC is not capable of that. Uh, right now and a lot of that is because of an unwillingness to run on early downs you're basically giving the defensive line a break when you don't run the ball on first and second down you're letting them sit back in coverage not get physically hit not have Elijah Vera Tucker coming down at you downhill instead he's sitting back and that inability for Graham Harrell to like turn up the dial I don't you know I was impressed by his play calling last year but they weren't able to physically dominate teams. And at the end of the day, that's why they were run off the field by, by a team like Oregon that is strong in the front seven. USC not strong enough in the front seven. They don't have that willingness to go downhill at opposing teams. That's why I can't see them dominating anyone this season. I feel like we're going to keep being in these fourth quarter games and eventually the ball is not going to bounce USC's way at a certain point. I mean, you, you can only win so many games like that. You know, and I love it, too, as, as an Atlanta sports fan. I love being on the other side of a 99.8 ESPN win probability. That's, that's music to my ears. You can't survive <laughs> off of that forever. You can't survive off of that forever if, if you can't physically dominate a team at the line of scrimmage. And, and that, was a hallmark of, uh, that was a hallmark of the Pete Carroll era, too, both on offense and defense. They were able to physically – everyone talks about Reggie Bush and Matt Leiner, but they also won. They had great offensive linemen, great defensive linemen, and, and they just haven't shown an ability to, to win up front anymore. All right, let's wrap up. Let's let's get to some. Let's get to some other stuff. But let's wrap up this. Uh, let's wrap up this USC question. This USC topic with one big question: Is Clay Helton the worst coach in all all of Power Five? I want to drop that bomb on you guys. It's hard. To, it's a hard one to answer, but um, I don't know. I,
2: he's definitely up there for the talent <laughs> that he has, and just the fact that he just really messes things up over and over. So I think he's up there there's there's got to be a power five coach who's worse but it could it could be clay it really could be
1: i think he's definitely in the conversation i i'm not a big fan of chip kelly whatsoever uh Mm, (laughs) you can't get blown out by even though they came back but by by cu by boulder
3: come on the buffs
0: that's your hometown school too you're really laying in there
3: oh yeah (laughs) people do forget about uh uh, Chip Kelly, but I, I think in terms of doing the least with most, you know what I mean. Uh, from from that perspective, it's hard to really deny any, anyone but Clay. Uh, but certainly there are other you know greatly disappointing coaches. You know your your real must champ just fired from yeah. from South Carolina, the fake USC, if you will. I mean, hey, he's he's a pretty terrible coach in his own right. He's been wildly unsuccessful basically since becoming head coach, and um, spurning Texas after being their uh, head coach and waiting for quite a while. Um, but I, I think Chip Kelly really is about the the cream of the crop. I'm in agreement with Daniel on that. He's just an embarrassment to coaching, and, and long long may he continue to coach for UCLA.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think the South Carolina one was a good point of comparison. Both guys, both Muschamp and Helton, started in 2016. Um, both have recruited well, but haven't really done anything with those recruiting rankings um and then you know both presumably we don't really know the numbers from helton's contract because we went to private school baby let's go screw public school but we don't know the buyout numbers we assume clay helton has a big buyout guess what south carolina is gonna be paying will muschamp 13 million dollars to go be crazy somewhere on like a lake in florida or something so um you know and that didn't stop south carolina from from making that decision when you realize that a, that a guy's lost the program when you realize he's not inspiring confidence when you realize he's not winning the state, which he was consistently losing to Clemson, just like USC is losing California to Oregon um, and Arizona State and schools like that, you have to cut ties. But for some reason, um, you know, USC just hasn't hasn't made that call. And I don't think anyone really know understands that situation because I think. That by conventional college football logic, he would have been gone after that five and seven season. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Do you guys, do you guys have any number of wins that he uh, or record that he has to have to get fired this year? Or are we just done predicting Clay Helton getting fired at this point?
3: I mean, certainly, I would love to to, to finish with, you know, the saga of trying to assume what's going to happen because we we've seen at least a couple instances where it seemed like it was a sure thing and it hasn't been. But my uh my my sneaking nightmarish prediction is that the entire uh, COVID-19 pandemic and the effect that that has on, on the funds available to schools, especially USC, uh, is going to influence uh, a lot of places in situations like USC's to not take the buyout. Yeah. But what does that even mean? I mean, Daniel
0: Halpern's probably paying a fortune to stare at a little green light all day. Like they're still making money. Come on.
1: Uh, I didn't actually think about it from Jimmy's perspective, but that's really good. I was, I'm thinking over here in my head, what does Clay Helton possibly have on USC that is like some sort of blackmail keeping him around? Because there's, it, there there has to be something, right? But now that I think about it more, we may have missed our opportunity to get rid of him before. I I, I didn't even think about it that way. With the money the way it could be, and USC, uh, what one of my professors said, USC was half a billion dollars in the hole. Um, I don't know if that's a confirmed thing or what, but... A, a older professor who's been around for a while, who's uh, kind of at the top of the Annenberg, uh, Annenberg board saying that makes you a little nervous and things like that make you really start to question, would this team even be considering a buyout when it's just throwing away money? And uh, we also know Carol Folt, it, her number one priority is not having the elite football program that we've had in the past. She, she it must, it does not would care
2: be- about that would really put that on the line in terms of like not firing him and letting just everyone still be so pissed off the boosters losing it just because of that. Like, I don't don't know how how active you are
1: in, I don't know how active you are in the USC Twitter sphere. The amount of hate for Clay Helton is toxic and it's kind of warranted. I'm not going to say it's unwarranted, but it is a dark place. And for, And it's not, like, a a vocal minority. It is a vocal majority. And if that's not enough to really push out anyone, I don't know what what would be. It has to be several losses at the end of the
3: season, right, Trevor?
0: Yeah, maybe he knows where OJ's Heisman is, the original Heisman. Maybe that's what this is all about.
3: Better yet, he probably knows where Reggie's Heisman is. He probably
0: knows where Reggie's Heisman is. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's interesting because, like, a lot of times you see – we've seen coaches get fired, like, at Florida State you just realize at a certain point you cannot lose that much money off of fans just not coming to games anymore. Florida state used to packing the house at 75,000 when Taggart was the coach. They had like 30,000 or something and you got to cut ties. But right now we don't even have that point of reference because there's not even fans in the stands. So it's not even like you could point to that loss of revenue. Um, so I, I just, I, I don't really know what it would take at this point yeah. to fire Clay Helton. And I feel like, um, you know, a lot of these SEC coaches that get fired, like Muschamp, you know, they're, they're terrible coaches and they're crazy. Clay Helton, I don't, I don't think he's crazy. He's just terrible. You know, maybe he's got to be crazy and terrible too. I don't, I don't really know what it is. I don't know what the criteria is. I don't know anymore, man. I've given up predicting when Clay Helton's going to get fired.
2: It's got to predicting I, when the pandemic's going to end. I, feel, I, I, just, I just really think. I, I mean, I see USC going six and zero, Pac twelve championship but I, I i don't see how they could still think that clay Helton is the answer I mean, obviously he's not the answer but still keep him on for another year i, I don't i don't know something with recruiting or i i really don't know I, i'd be confused if they if they kept him again
0: yeah maybe Carol careful just doesn't go on twitter maybe she hasn't done a fleet yet <laughs> are we taking a break we'll be right back Everybody, we're back with some NFL talk. We figure that's enough USC talk for anyone. Any more talk about USC needs to be done with a clinical uh, licensed therapist. But we're going to get back with NFL, some stuff that's uh, a little less stressful. And one guy that's definitely not stressful to watch, one, Kyler Murray. Um, He's been unbelievable. That Hail Mary, I think, will end up being the play of the season, if not the play of, like, the last five seasons. It'll be etched in NFL history. Played time and time again on NFL films. That catch by DeAndre. That throw. And I'm just going to put that out there, guys. I think Kyler Murray will be the face of the league for the next 10 years over Mahomes, over Aaron Rodgers, over Joe Burrow. I think his combination of athleticism, um, I think he's marketable. I think he's an affable guy. And I think his skill, all of that, you put that into a cocktail, I think he'll be the face of the NFL for years to come. Argue with me.
1: I I completely disagree. I think you're right with some of those other guys that aren't going to be it. I think Aaron Rodgers uh he's too old he's he's not no 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 no. I'm saying he's not he's he's too old at this point uh I think with Joe Burrow I think that the Bengals are still in that rebuild I think that Kyler has a an opportunity to be uh kind of one of the maybe up and coming guys if not like in that second tier with the face of the league is Patrick Mahomes there's no denying that he's arguably the greatest talent I I won't even say arguably in my opinion he's the greatest talent uh at the quarterback position that we've seen in NFL history he can make every throw he doesn't he does everything that Aaron Rodgers does but also has that Brett Favre mentality in him that's how I see Patrick Mahomes and it creates the most uh entertaining thing to watch on a football field from that quarterback position and I won't say that Kyler isn't entertaining he runs around he looks his little legs going that fast are amazing to watch I mean he, he's, he's, still taller than you, Tri- he's still taller he's than you, Trevor. He's
0: still taller than you, Trevor. But... He's not taller than me. He's 5'7. I know he's short, but he's almost relatable in that way. Okay, he's not relatable. He's a freak athlete. But I think you always kind of belittle him as like a little sideshow entertainment, like watching no, no. Westbrook in the NBA. I think there's no ceiling on how good of a quarterback Kyler Murray can be in this league from what I've seen so far. And I don't even think he's been that accurate of a passer yet. Imagine when he hit, does become a fully fledged NFL passer. I mean, I think this guy could be a multiple-time MVP. I think he should be in the MVP conversation this year. I'm very high on Kyler Murray.
2: What's What's great about Kyler is, like we, like you said, like we've seen with Mahomes and Lamar Jackson as well, is he is he's in a second year and he's already on a team that's leading the leading the division, and almost mm-hmm. the conference. And you don't really see that with a lot of young guys who are supposed to be the face of the league, they, they drafted super high. They're on bad teams. They they're there for a while, but with Kyler, he. He's different from Mahomes because he doesn't have. He has the wow factor, but it's not in the sense of these crazy no look throws, these little scoop passes, these little gimmicky things that make Mahomes a highlight reel. It's the fact that that Kyler does it with his legs in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. I think it's also and and he's also smaller than we've seen with Lamar, but Lamar is no normal sized quarterback. Kyler's all of five seven. When he (laughs) runs, his his. The helmet looks like it's too big for his body. He scampers around like a, like a baby just stole something from the the kitchen. Um, but I do think
0: he can be
2: the he can be the face. It's just it's it's gonna be tough to take that from Mahomes, just because of how he plays. And I think he just has so much fanfare, and the media just loves him so much. Kyler's got to get there. Um, I think he will. If, if if Arizona keeps winning, it's it's gonna be tough to keep him out of the conversation and. This, the game tomorrow against Russell can go a long way toward that MVP conversation. Russell's been really kind of free-falling these last four weeks with interceptions with turnovers, a couple losses, one to Arizona. Um, and I think if Kyler can outduel him tomorrow, I think he's right in the same position, right along with uh, Mahomes and um, Rodgers. I, I like the
1: – you brought up Russell Wilson, and I want to make a comparison here. And I don't think Kyler Murray – stays uh, the the scampering guy out there for his whole career. I think he will go very in the same route as Russell Wilson, who if you go back and you watch his first year, first two years, um, he, he was very mobile. He got out of the pocket. He ran when he needed to. I think that, it's uh kyler murray is a combination of lamar jackson and russell wilson with his speed and athleticism there and he even does in a different way his shiftiness and how fast his his legs move it just doesn't seem like it's real what he's doing it kind of looks like cartoonish um but as russell wilson progressed in his career he stopped running as much he became more of that pocket quarterback and i think it just you, you get tired of it you, your legs can't handle it your body can't handle the hits from it you learn to be a pocket passer that's or you get out really of the league hard. there's no in between you have yeah. cam newton who you know still wanted to be active still wanted to get out of the pocket and run and look where that's got him he was out of the league and now he's with the patriots he's not doing that well i don't think it's it's a sustainable career to have running the football in any capacity i think Lamar Jackson won't be in the league for long. I think he's a great quarterback. He deserves to win MVP, but that's not a sustainable career model of a quarterback.
2: And with with Lamar, and there's still questions about his accuracy. And as as you as you said with Russell, what's gonna have to come with with Kyler is he's gonna have to become more accurate in the pocket if, if he does. And I think he will.
1: I think he will. He, he is growing. Now he has weapons around him. He had last year, and now you, have, you give him Hopkins. Uh, the ceiling is very, very high for
2: him.
0: I, I think the comparison to Cam Newton is, is, is terrible.
2: And yeah, I, I didn't like the we have, Cam comparison. You should have
0: any podcast privileges revoked after this. Comparing Cam Newton to Kyler Murray is like comparing a Fiat and a Mack truck. Yeah, maybe they reach the same top speed, but they're doing it in completely different ways. And
1: cam I'm New- saying the mobile archetype cam in general, though.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the problem. You're being too general. Cam Newton built like a Mack truck. The way his body is built, he is built to take hits. That's just part of the nature Uh, Kyler Murray is so quick, much quicker laterally than Cam Newton ever was, where he doesn't get hit. He's always able to get out of bounds. And then his baseball background – really comes into play a lot of these quarterbacks don't know how to slide particularly Joe Burrow I've seen take some big hits early on didn't have the baseball background or at least as extensive of a baseball background probably just spoke out of turn there but I don't think he has extensive as a baseball background as Kyler Murray Kyler Murray can slide on a dime kind of like just clicking that quick square button and Madden and he's on the floor and I think that um, will enable him to have a long career and also what will enable him to make the leap quicker than uh, any other quarterback in the NFL to that upper echelon is DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, giving DeAndre Hopkins to a quarterback like Kyler Murray is will speed up his development tenfold because you have to understand with DeAndre Hopkins, there may not be a more unselfish, less diva-ish re- top receiver in the game because this guy has played with Brandon Whedon and TJ Yates. He doesn't mind if Rob you don't Brock Osweiler, thank you. He doesn't mind if you go away from him for a little bit. He doesn't mind if you throw the occasional duck or misfire. To him, Kyler Murray might as well be Steve Young or Joe Montana compared to the rest of the players that he's he's dealt with. So I think that trade combined with his ability to not absorb contact, I think that the sky's the limit for Kyler Murray. I think we've got MVPs in his future.
2: The thing with, with Hopkins also, with a position like wide receiver, at times it can be you would think that one of the most selfish positions. You want the ball, you know, You've exactly. been forced to the ball all of your life, but with how Hopkins, his where he's come from with Houston, so much, yeah. He, okay, they've won, they've, they've won the division a few times, but nothing meaningful, and you never really took them that seriously as a as a contender with this with this Arizona team. I think Hopkins is just is happy to be winning, winning meaningful games, and winning games that that show something against in one in probably the toughest division. And he sees that this team can actually go somewhere. So, he, yeah, he's fine if he's getting only 30, 40 yards. And if it's Christian Kirk getting 130, 140, or, or if they go to the run game or Kyler Murray. And another quick thing is with Kyler Murray, he's outrunning cornerbacks. He's outrunning safeties. That's something that probably only Lamar Jackson's doing. Cam Newton wasn't doing that. He just wasn't as quick as Trevor mentioned. And Kyler knows he's faster than these guys. He knows he can get out and run. He knows he can slide or get out of bounds. And – if he can just, if he's still doing that though, in 200, 300 yards a game, with these receivers that he has right now, and also rushing for 70, 80 yards, this guy really is a limit for him. Also, he has he's such a weapon in the in the red zone, 10, 15 yards out with the read option or just the the um oh, yeah the amount of rushing touchdowns he has and the way he does it, he walks he in. 10, it's, right? Yeah, he it's yeah a nine rushing touchdowns because
0: he, it'll be a situation where it's like I either cover Christian Kirk wide open in the end zone or I go try to tackle this guy. And even if you do go and try to commit, he can still out you. We've seen him juke the mess out of defenders. And then if you do over-commit to him too much, he could throw it to Christian Kirk right there wide open in the back of the end zone. It's a catch-22 for defenses everywhere. Catch-22. I love the guy. I love the guy. I think he's – I think he – I think he – I think this is a good time for the NFL. I think they have – um I think the last kind of crop of star quarterbacks, um, you know, were pocket passers, Big Ben, Philip Rivers. This is a new wave and it's more exciting. I think it's going to get some more of that NBA audience. I think the NFL got a little stale, um, a little formulaic with the same type of games, you know, 24 to 17 games. Now we have guys like Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, uh, Kyler Murray that can score on a dime, can do all these different things. I think it's a great time for NFL for the NFL, and I think Kyler Murray kind of
2: leads that charge.
0: All right, guys, should we wrap this up? Any thoughts on uh, any thoughts on, on Yeko Okongu or USC guy to the Hawks? I'm hyped about that.
2: I love it. I, th- I think it's great because he doesn't have to come produce immediately. They still have Clint Capella and uh, Colin, so he could be a big piece off the bench learning from those bigs in front of him. Just provide, honestly, 17 to 24 minutes in his rookie year, showing he- what he can do on the defensive end, maybe even expand his offensive game. Uh, get, a, get a little mid-range game going, run the run, the pick and pop maybe even with Trey Young. I think it was a great pick. I kind of honestly saw him going to Atlanta for a while. Um, mm-hmm. Those are a lot of the early mock drafts are saying him uh, him to Atlanta. So I think it's perfect for him. I think he's going to thrive there. What
0: would you like most about him? I, I saw you at, uh, you know, a lot of games hanging out with your land I was, you know, you were a little too cool to talk talk to me a couple times. But I saw you at these USC basketball games. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to cry a little bit about that but I saw you at these games. What, what impressed you the most about just watching Okongwu out there on the court?
2: I think it's his, his defensive instinct. Okay. He knows, he knows how to track a ball for a block. Um, his motor's great. I think that's what they're going to love with him in, in Atlanta is the minutes he's going to provide are going to be the, the hardest minutes he's going to play every night. He's never going to leave anything on the, um, on the floor. I think he's just going to, his offensive game. I do, I do think it needs a little work. I think that's going to come. But I think the defense is what's going to get all the Hawks fans in love with him at first.
0: Your defense was always strong at the USC game, swatting me away. But, you know, <laughs> the comp would be Okongwu in this situation. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, as a Hawks fan, I like the pick. I think we need defense. I think guard was a need. I think having another scorer besides Trey Young was a need. But I think at the sixth pick, is great value, man. I think he's a top four talent. I think sometimes you go with the best player uh, available, you know? Dan, any thoughts on Okongwu to the Hawks?
1: Yeah, I mean, you were were mentioning, I think Jordan was Clint Capella. And if you look at them, they're not identical uh, by any means. I would say Clint Capella is a little bit uh, like a a stockier guy. But uh, uh, at 6'10", he's kind of the smaller center archetype in there. Okongwu, he might play a little bit of power forward. I think that later in his career, he could develop into like that small ball center kind of more. Uh, And as Jordan was saying, the guy knows how to swap basketballs out of the gym. Uh, He's going to be a a lot of fun to watch. I think that Trey Young and Okongwu, they complement each other's game. Uh, Only time will tell if it ends up actually working out. But I think that both of them do just enough that they're not going to be overlapping with each other. uh, And it's going to be a lot of fun down in Atlanta.
0: Hey, I love that. A lot of fun down in Atlanta. Uh, but lots of pressure on the Hawks. Lots of pressure right now to kind of turn that into a playoff run with Trey Young, John Collins, all those guys. There's lots of pressure for us to get on out of here. We've been on this a while. But uh, good job. First episode, study hall. Study hall. We're going to be back oh, every week. It's I miss USC football. We missed study hall. So we decided to recreate it right here on the podcast. Any parting thoughts, my friends, my colleagues?
2: Tomorrow, Thursday night football is going to be, I think it's going to be one of the best games of the year. High scoring. Uh, Maybe Metcalf doesn't do anything boneheaded as he's done this a lot this season. Agreed. My parting thought
1: is that USC football will be very frustrating to watch this weekend. Everyone, uh, make sure to uh, have your Twitter fingers ready because there's going to be a lot of screaming at Clay Helton going on.
0: My parting thought is that the part on Daniel's hair is insane. We got to get him do a haircut. All right. That's all we have for study hall this week. We'll be back again with more next Friday. See you.